You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So good to be with you. And as we are approaching Easter, it just blows my mind that we're just a few weeks away from Easter. I thought we would switch gears out of James and go to the Gospel of Luke and talk about the road to Emmaus. And my prayer is, is that in the next few weeks, as we, as we get closer to Easter, that you will grow closer to Jesus. If you didn't notice throughout our time of singing, it really was all about Jesus, which is our topic for today. We're talking about Jesus and how beautiful and precious and sacred he is. But before I read this scripture to you, and as you remember this story, many of you know this story quite well. One of the things the Lord laid on my heart this morning and wanted me to share with you, I believe this with all my heart, in my prayer time, he wanted me to share this with you, that as we think about the road to Emmaus, the interesting thing about the story is, is that the disciples that are mentioned here, these two disciples, they were walking with Jesus and didn't know it. Now, I want you to think about that because when we look at our lives, there, there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus is always there by our side. The problem isn't his absence. The problem is our acknowledgement of his presence. And my, my fear today is, is that many of us, as Christ followers, we lose sight of the fact that Christ is with us. And I just want to challenge you as we begin our sermon today and as we begin this series, I want you to ask the Lord to begin to reveal his presence and his power to you every day. Because we need to know that Jesus is with us. We need to hear his voice. We need to know his power more than ever before. And so as we walk this road to Emmaus together, my prayer is is that Jesus will become more sweet and rich and powerful in your life. With that being said, will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word? And we're going to pick up in Luke 24, about midway through the chapter, verse 13. Now, that very day, this is that first Easter Sunday, just so you know, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, notice this, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But verse 16 is key here. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, (laughs) what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And notice verse 25. And 25, 26, and 27 constitute our main text for today. Notice this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's pray. God, reveal your power and glory to us this morning. And let us see that your word, every bit of it, it's all about you. Point us, Lord, to Calvary today. Point us to the empty tomb and point us to our great commission and calling, Lord Jesus. Do a great work in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God's word is a special privilege. It's a beautiful gift. When we first start reading the Bible, you know, people are trying to help us and they tell us about all the different ways to read the Bible, the historical elements and how the Old Testament and where it fits in the timeline, the New Testament, all those things. But let me just say this, as I get older and read the scriptures more, what I'm discovering is the more I think about Jesus, the more I focus on Jesus, the more all the scriptures come alive to me. And, and, and really, quite frankly, in an intellectual sense, it all becomes more, more clear, more vibrant, more beautiful. You see, the world we live in is a very broken place. We all know that sin and darkness abound. Uh, when we get outside of our doors, we realize that, that there is pain and suffering in this world, and this world is in desperate need of change. Many years ago, one of, one of my favorite authors, a very clever fellow, G.K. Chesterton, he responded to a newspaper who wanted people to write essays about the subject. The subject was... What's wrong with the world? And they were expecting to get these long essays about politics and about war and all of these things. And G.K. Chesterton wrote an essay of two words. When he wanted to answer the question, what is wrong with the world? He just said, I am. Now that's a deep insight. That's a person who understands that it is the sin in our hearts that is causing all the problems in the world. If we will admit that our sin is the problem, the only thing left to do is look for the answer. And Jesus is the answer. If you are here today and in your heart you're saying, I know there's a problem inside of me. I know that there is a darkness, there is an addiction, there is a problem that is bigger than me. Listen, if you're admitting that, that is a huge step because most of us press that down, push it deep inside, and we try to ignore it. But if the Spirit is revealing to you that darkness, do not despair. You do not have to remain in that darkness because Jesus is the answer. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to humanity's solution, the solution for all of us to our sin problem. Too many of us today are like, look at verse 17, like those disciples standing still and looking sad. Now I'm going to tell you right now, what Rich did for us in leading us in that music, it was, we were a little bit more mellow perhaps, but I didn't sense sadness in this room. 
There was joy in here because we have Jesus. But listen to me, too often as Christians, we're walking around and we're looking sad and we're somber. Listen, Jesus is alive. The church doesn't have any time to be sorrowful. We need to be filled with the joy of the Lord. The world has its own sorrow, but we have the Savior. We have His glory. Let's not stand around looking sad. Do you realize these two disciples of Jesus on the first Easter morning were standing there looking sad? And sadly, we've continued that on many a Sunday morning after, Baptist. Christian, friend, how many times have we come to church and we've been more worked up and knocked down than lifted up? This passage today is, I believe, a beautiful story. Maybe one of the the most elegant stories in Scripture, which Scripture is filled with so many beautiful stories. But this one is so beautiful because it's a capstone, a keystone. It, It sort of ties it all together, holds it all together. We begin to see in this passage that Jesus is the interpretive uh, clue to the rest of Scripture that everything opens up if we open our hearts to Him. So let's do that this morning. Amen? Let's open our hearts to Jesus. Let's learn how it is all about Jesus. The first thing I want to do before I go into those three verses in a little bit of detail, I want to remind you that if you're here today and you are not yet a Christ follower, I want you to know that what we're talking about today is not in the realm of myth or fable. Everything I'm going to talk to you about today is solidly, soundly in the realm of history. Everything we're talking about is anchored in history. Take a look at this story with me and let's just look at it closely and notice some of the things that are being said. Notice that our story is said to take place on a Sunday, not just any Sunday, but that first resurrection Sunday. The chapter begins, and I didn't read this, but it begins with telling us about Mary Magdalene, Uh, Joanna and Mary's early morning trip to Jesus's tomb. Now they were going there to anoint a dead body, to anoint a dead body, to, to show respect to the fallen Messiah, the fallen Jesus, the one they had hoped was a Messiah. They, they went there with sadness in their hearts, but when they show up, they realize that he's not there. The beauty of Easter is he is not in the tomb. In fact, The angel says, remember how he told you. Verse 6, he says to the ladies, remember how he told you. In other words, Jesus not being there, them being surprised by that was the surprise because Jesus had told them in three days, I will rise again. They hadn't been listening. You think it's just your kids that don't listen. It seems to be the human condition. The disciples had not been listening. Now look at this text. The very day that Jesus rose from the grave, two of his followers, not part of the 12, but probably part of the larger group that followed Jesus, they were walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. One of the persons here is named and the other is not. Everything in this narrative feels real. Time is given the very day. Distance is given seven miles. A name is given, Cleopas. Luke's first audience would have been able to connect all these. Now, we don't know for sure, but Cleopas most likely was the man who took over as the main pastor, the lead pastor, the senior pastor, if you will, of the church of Jerusalem when James was martyred. 
There's some evidence that that's who it is. So why is he named and not the other fellow? Because the first readers of this, this gospel would have said, oh, wow, Cleopas was there. He, was, he actually got to hear this sermon. Listen, I'd go hear a preacher who had heard this sermon that Jesus is preaching to us. This all connects. It's all history. It's all beautiful. These disciples, though, we see are trying to grasp all that has happened. It's easy to right now say, wow, why didn't you guys see this? But do you realize they had gone through a lot? It had been an emotional roller coaster. They were wrestling with who Jesus was and what talk of an empty tomb meant. meant. This is not normal conversation. These are not normal happenings. We need to give these guys a little bit of a break. But what this passage is showing us is that when it comes to the empty tomb. It's all about perception and response. You see, Jesus tells us who he is and what he came to do, but how will we respond to the message? We can perceive when we read the scriptures that it's very clear who Jesus claimed to be, the miracles that he performed, all those things point to something special about Jesus. But let me just pause for a moment and ask you, how are you responding? Or better yet, have you responded? You can perceive that Jesus is is great. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to receive him. And this morning, I want you to know, you may know Bible history better than anybody else in this room, but if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not enough to know about him. It's only going to save you if you believe that he is the Son of God. This is history, but it's also about salvation. Many people admit there's something special about Jesus. Even in the hallowed halls of academia, they'll talk about Jesus and lump him in with great spiritual leaders like Buddha or others. But if that's all you do, if you put him in that category of a great teacher, it's not enough. He's not just a moralizer. He's not just a philosopher. He is the savior of the world. There is only one proper response to Jesus, and that is to call him Lord and Savior. Now, while these two men are speaking to him in verses 15 and 16, his true identity is veiled. It's very clear in the text that he didn't want to let them know quite yet what was going on. The sadness that they were feeling was very, very real. They were brokenhearted because Jesus, whom they loved, had died. There was sadness. But now there is this talk of an empty tomb. Again, what will you do with this news of an empty tomb? Good question to ask, right? During the Easter season... What will you do with this empty tomb? Let me say this. To believe in Jesus, we need supernatural help. Now, it's not enough for you to just hear me say that Jesus rose from the grave. You need to hear that and believe it in your heart. And the way that it goes from here to here is when the Holy Spirit begins to speak. And the Spirit does speak. He speaks through the Scriptures and He just speaks. The Holy Spirit moves We see this in the passage of Scripture. We see it in the Bible. We know that God works. It's not enough to just think of Jesus as a prophet or a good man. He is the Redeemer of Israel and the whole wide world. Jesus is here. He's in the midst of us. And we need to realize that that the risen Lord is here to save us, to change us. And he's speaking to us today. Here are three things I think that we can look at in this text and I think can help us grow. First, 
We need to dig in a little bit on this idea that God has spoken, but will we listen? The word of God has been given to us. Now, I want you to look at verse 25. If you are following along with modern psychology, uh, you will, will know that one of the dictates of modern psychology, especially in child rearing, is positive reinforcement. Now, evidently, Jesus didn't get that message. Because if you'll notice verse 25, it's very little positive reinforcement here. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Now, I don't see how you can spin that into positive reinforcement. Now, here's the deal. The issue wasn't a lack of information. It was a lack or inability or unwillingness to listen. Jesus has to speak this way to these men, and he has to speak this way to us because it's not that we are lacking information. We live in an information age. We are inundated with facts and figures and knowledge. But the question is, if the prophets have spoken, if Jesus has lived and died and rose again, what are you doing about that? Have you believed in him? Jesus is making it plain here in this passage that the prophets had spoken. Look at verse 25. He says, all that the prophets have spoken. He's saying, look back and see. I could give you reference after reference. Deuteronomy 8, 15, 18, 15, Psalm 2, 7, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, on and on and on. Jesus is saying the prophets have spoken. Now let me soften things up just a bit. This word foolish here in the, in the text isn't a word that means like you're a moron. Is that okay if I say that? I don't think that's too harsh. It's not a moronic kind of word. The word foolish here means more like being obtuse, or to put it in more common language, thick-headed. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You get that one, don't you? You know, when I say obtuse, they're like, what, are, we in, you know, are we in geometry class? What's it, you know, obtuse? What's it? What is that about? Not that any of you would ever be obtuse, but, but most of the wives just elbowed their husbands when I said thick-headed. They're like, you know what that means, don't you? Yeah, yes, we do know what that means. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. I've been surrounded by the hymns of faith. Some of those that we did sing this morning took me back to Sandy Creek Baptist Church in 1995, man, long, long time ago, old country church. Singing that with just a piano and an organ, beautiful times, beautiful times. I've been surrounded, but I'm, I'm telling you, I've been thick-headed. Many times Jesus has been around me with glory and power, and I've just not been quick to realize. In fact, I've been rather slow. Notice it says that. We are, we are slow when it comes to spiritual things. Now, let me say this. Some of you who've been raised in church, you may not like what I'm saying here, but I, I fear it's true. Human beings are not naturally spiritual. This is why we need the Holy Spirit's help. Just because you were raised in church doesn't make you spiritual automatically. And any more than, than taking, uh, taking your night's rest with the book underneath the pillow has it go into your head, okay? Osmosis and diffusion. I always prayed when I learned that concept in, in, in elementary science that if I laid on a book that it would somehow leach into my brain doesn't work that way. Being in church doesn't cause the Spirit to necessarily leach into your brain, into your heart. But listen to me. I do believe 
that when we are in God's house, among God's people, that's when the Spirit can really work. God's Word is written to people who are by nature spiritually slow. We're slow on the uptake, and that's okay. What's not okay is to hear the Word of God again today and not listen to it. Verse 25 is emphatic in the original language. In other words, put an exclamation point there. He's speaking loudly. It's kind of like I remember when I was younger, my dad would walk in the room when it was time to go to school and he would say, wake up. Well, I feel like Jesus is doing that as a good father would to us. He's saying to us, wake up. Don't be thick headed. Don't be slow here. Open your mind. I am speaking, but will you listen? God's word, the Easter story is speaking, but will we listen? And this brings us to our second point. What do we need to hear? Well, ultimately, the way of salvation, which is Christ died for our sins. Look at verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Often, brothers and sisters, it is our expectations that govern what we see. Many things happen in our presence that we don't see because we're not looking for it. Last night, we were gathered around in our backyard. We started a little, little fire. We were doing s'mores, eating healthy, of course. And, and uh, I was talking to uh, a, a young lady, and I'm not going to say who it was. And uh, I said a few sentences, and then she looks at me and goes, I didn't hear a word you said. And I was like, wow, it feels like Sunday morning. It's kind of... <laughs> So, no, 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 no. you guys listen because many times you quote back what I say and sometimes I'm like, oh man, did I really say that? But one of the things I've noticed in my studies is, is that the way you were trained to think causes you to see some things and not see others. So let me just throw this out. If you want to talk about it another time, maybe we can. I've got a lot more to say here. But I believe that because most of us were raised in a sci- with a scientific empirical worldview, our eyes are only trained to see the things that are physical, uh, verifiable, repeatable. We have scientific-oriented minds, and when the Spirit moves, He can move outside of those bounds. And what happens is, is God is always at work around you. And sometimes you don't see it because you've not allowed your heart to be open, your eyes to be open to the power of God in you. I believe in good science and sound empirical reasoning. I really do. But I've been asking God for many years to break that down in my heart so that I could see the power of God at work. I don't want to miss him. And I don't want you to miss him. He's too good. And he did come and die for our sins. Too many people in the first century weren't looking for a suffering Messiah. There were some before the first century, I think, that were. Isaiah 53 was pretty clear. Those who were reading the Hebrew Scriptures, if they were reading them closely at all, could have seen that a Messiah was coming and that he was going to suffer, bleed, and die. It was there. But because those people in Jesus' day were looking for somebody to help them get past the Roman uh, uh, Empire and their armies, They were looking only for another David, a great warrior, a great man of war. And so they didn't see the man of peace that would die on a cross. And if those good people in the first century could miss something so important, what are we missing? What have you missed? What have I missed? See, God is at work. The greatest enemy is is never out there. It's always in here. 
And so often we as Christians get worked up about what's going on in the world and we're missing the fact that Jesus is right here in our midst. It was such a sad necessity for the Messiah to need to suffer on the cross, to go through these things in order to enter into glory. Look at verse 26. This idea of glory is something we need to think about for just a moment. You see, Jesus didn't come to bring glory in any human sense. He came to bring the glory of the Father on earth. And let me tell you what the most glorious thing about Jesus is, is that though he had all majesty and power, he laid it all down, was nailed to a cross, and died for our sins. He was able to go into glory and to be glorified because he lived a sinless life, and he died so that your sins would be nailed to his cross. That's what Jesus did for us. That was why it was necessary. And we need this because otherwise we're going to die. And we are not going to spend eternity with him. I want you to remember what Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, where it starts. It starts at a tomb. Are you following me? It starts at a tomb. And a tomb is never a happy ending. No matter how good the story may be, if the story ends up at a tomb, it's not a great story. There are no happy endings if there isn't life after death. Are you following me? There are no happy endings for you if there is no resurrection. Let me say this. Listen to me. Your story this morning needs a better ending. If you don't know Jesus, your story needs a better ending. Why is the gospel such a great story? Why are the gospels such beautiful stories? It's because Jesus, at the end of his life here on earth, it doesn't end at the tomb, but three days later, he rose again. And because of that, we have the hope of life. His story, when you believe it, becomes your story. His resurrection life becomes your resurrection life. And you desperately need this. Let me say it again. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, your story ends in the grave. And let me take it a step further. It ends in the grave, which leads to eternal separation from God. Heaven and hell hang in the balance this morning. Nothing more, nothing less. Really everything hangs in the balance this morning. If your story doesn't have Jesus in it, if Jesus is not in your heart, friends, you are lost. You are lost. There is no happy ending apart from Christ. But let me say this. Christ is everywhere you look. He's here he wants to dwell here. If you could give me a time machine and give me one opportunity to go to one place in all of Scripture, I think, now it'd be awesome to see Jesus come out of the tomb and all those things. There's a lot of other stories I'd like to see. But if I could just walk along on the road to Emmaus and hear what Jesus says to those two guys, I think that would make me the happiest man alive. Let me show you why. In verse 27, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them uh, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus preached a sermon on the whole Bible, and the main topic was himself. 
And he showed these men, these individuals, we don't know that they are men. By the way, uh, there was two disciples. The other one could have been female, perhaps. We don't know. Maybe it was Cleopas and his wife. There was one tradition that said that that's what it was. I don't know. But the point is, two people got to hear this. And here's my take on it. Basically, when we say Moses and all the prophets, the scripture is telling us that everywhere you look, Christ is there. Every place you squeeze scripture, at any point, you find Jesus. And let me just say this. The word Emmaus in Hebrew, it means spring of water. Let me tell you this. If you'll let this word permeate you, if you'll just squeeze it a little bit, what you're going to find is, is that living water will flow into your heart. And I'm challenging you this morning with all the strength that I have to let that living water come into your heart. I want you to walk with Jesus. I want you to know him. But this morning, the question is, are you thirsty? Are you willing to remain in a dry place? Are you willing to remain in the dark? Or are you ready to take a drink of the living water? Friends, there is no other way. Your story will not end well if Christ is not your Lord and Savior. He is calling you. He is crying out to you. As we think about Easter, as we think about this glorious season that we experience every spring, do not forget it is all about Jesus, what he came to do. And what he came to do is is to die for your sins. Many of you have heard that for years. But I'm going to challenge you this morning to do more than hear it. I'm going to ask you to receive it. Because it's all about Jesus. Let me ask you right now. If you're being honest with me. Is your life all about Jesus? Because if it's not, it's time to make a change. Your story needs a better ending. Let's start that right now. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.